Good morning, church. Great to see you all, and welcome to you joining us online. So glad you're here today. This is the day the Lord has made. Apparently, we need a little moisture. We're, we're rejoicing and glad in it. As Pastor Glenn just said, we are starting a little series called I Love My Church, talking about the things that we're doing to reach our community in the world. And um, a few years ago, I was in the restroom between services, and a couple of college-age guys came in. They didn't see me in there, and they were finishing up at the sink. Now, I'm about to curse, so brace yourself. Are you ready? I'm going to curse. Are you ready? I'm just going to quote what one of the guys said. Are you braced? I'm just quoting someone. One of the young guys turns to the other one and says, damn, I love this church. (laughs) Just like that. And I went, that's the guy I'm trying to reach right there. That is so great. I'm so glad he's here. It's wonderful. So... uh, Lots of pressure points in our world today right now. Oh, by the way, uh, Pastor Glenn just mentioned if you're, you know, 19 to 29 or whatever that number was, we've got free box lunches available. I wonder if those are available after this service. He said 1230. Um, Someone was going to go check on that, and I don't hear them. Let's just assume they'll be ready right after this service. So if you're in that age group, just stop by the chapel and grab a box. I mean, it's just... It's a free box lunch. I'm in so much trouble right now. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm right in it. Yeah. So I th- if you just go through the chapel and uh, someone will hand you a free lunch, I think, right after this service. I hope. I hope it works out for you. Drop my name. See if it does you any good. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, these are trying times, aren't they? I mean, that's the understatement. Pressure points social, personal, spiritual, political, it it just weighs on us. Um, Medical, (laughs) it's just hard right now in so many ways. And people are asking me questions about end time events. What does the Bible say about what's going to come at the end? Is this the end? And, And what should we be doing? And those kinds of questions and ideas. What I want to do today is talk about the essentials that we need for times like these. And Jesus gives us some great insight into this very category in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Matthew 24. I'm going to read the first 14 verses, and we can learn the essential qualities of people living for Jesus in times like these. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so I invite you to do that as you're able Verse verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your, your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes, various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted, put to death, You'll be handed, hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And may God help us. Help us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. When you sat down in your row, there are faith promise cards. I'm going to refer to this at the end of the message today. So if you've got got one in hand, that would be helpful. You can share maybe with uh, your person in the row. 
Jesus had a way of answering questions that always addressed the needs of people rather than the requests of people. By that, in this, in this case, and this is human nature, isn't it? When, when the world gets funky and out of sorts like it is right now, Christian people who know a little bit of the scripture, they'll say, is this, is this a sign? Is this maybe the end? Is this what Jesus prophesied and predicted would happen? And, and the question is then, what's going to happen? When's it going to happen? And Jesus is responding to those questions from the disciples because he had just predicted that the temple was going to be absolutely destroyed. In other words, the things that are most stable in your world and that you rest your, rest your life on and your hopes upon, that's all going to go away. And it made him anxious, made him nervous. And we wonder about what's going on in our world right now. And so his answer was to remind these guys, he gave them a few big picture, you know, the, the earth's going to shake and people are going to be at odds with one another and it's going it's to get worse, not better. And so he kind of gave them a big picture. But then he, 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 he focused in on the essential qualities and characteristics of a person who will be able to endure all the way to the end, who will be successful in the journey in spite of all these external consequences. So he, he throws in, again, a few of the big picture things, but then focuses in on the essential qualities that we'll all need to survive times like these. So that's the outline. If you have that in front of you on your app, here's the first thing I want to say that Jesus mentions, and it is to take heed to yourself. Don't be deceived. Take heed to yourself. Now that's the phrase, verse four. Jesus answered and said to them, take heed, watch out, that no one deceives you. So he said, when you start seeing these indicators, racial tension, political tension, a march toward globalism, socialism, a cashless society, one world government, all things which the Bible clearly predicts is going to happen, Jesus said, take heed. Take heed to yourself. Pay attention. And the important thing at the end times, then Jesus is inferring, is not what's happening out there. What's most important in the end times is what's happening inside of our lives. Not outside, not the circumstances, not the situation in the world, but the most important thing that's happening is what's happening inside of us. Very important. So what is important is what's happening in your life and in your heart. So we ask questions. How is my relationship with Jesus? How is my passion for God? How is it with my soul? How is my spiritual life? How is my purity of heart? How are my relationships? How is my demeanor with others? How is my thought life? Is there purity of thought? Is there wholeness of life? In other words, give more time and attention to your internal life than you do your external life. Take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. Pay attention to these things. Now, I mentioned this, and, I, the, and the room gets quiet. And you're, some of you, many of you are at home right now or watching online, and I know you're feeling this because you go, wow, you know, I haven't been paying as much attention to my internal life as I have distracted by all the external things in the world right now. So here's, here's the admonition that comes from Jesus. Take heed to yourself. Take care of yourself. Watch after yourself and your own soul. That's a, now here's the second thing. See that you are not troubled. See that you're not troubled. Verse six, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, another word for trouble can be translated agitation. Anybody agitated? Can I get a witness? I mean, seriously, are you kidding? Uh, there's, there's so much personal and political and social and spiritual agitation in our world today. And on social media, you know, we've been talking about this the last several weeks, people lambasting other people, groups of people stirring up trouble and resentment and hostilities and unrest. It's, it's crazy. The, the amount of confusion and agitation and finger pointing and, and accusation going on. 
But here's, here's the admonition. Don't worry. Don't be troubled by this. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't overindulge in current events and the news cycle. Don't spend so much time looking out there, but remind yourself that God is with us and that you don't need to be troubled. Jesus said, listen, these things have to happen. These things have, have to happen before the end. So don't be troubled by it. Try, try to remain calm. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. See that you're not troubled. Now, here's the third thing that I want to mention. Guard your love for God. This is what Jesus said, verse 12. And because lawlessness, the word there is iniquity, lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold or wax cold. Now, pay special attention. We have in our culture today, as you're well aware, a breakdown of values, of morals, of ethics in this wider culture. And as a result of the breakdown in the wider culture, there's opportunity for us personally and privately to allow our resolve to erode and our resistance to sin to, to, to erode. Now, you should know that iniquity, this word that's used in this verse, this is defined as the knowing violation of established law. So you know what the, what the right thing is and you do, choose to do wrong. You, you understand what the established standards and boundaries that God has put in place, you know, you know what's right, and you choose to go the other way. Now, that's, that's a little different than sin, the word sin. Sin is a little more common word. It's, it's when we mess up and fail. Oftentimes, sin happens. We didn't see it coming or going. This happens to me. You know, I get to the end of the day, and I, and I think back about a, a moment that I had with someone or some thought I had, and I go, and I realize... I think that was a sin. <laughs> I don't think I did very well in that moment. You know, so, sometimes sin kind of sneaks up on you. You didn't see it coming. You didn't see it going. Iniquity is much different than that. Iniquity is the knowing, premeditated engagement of wrongdoing. It's the known violation of established law. So we live in a world where there is the convenience of sin. We live in a world where there's the, the increased opportunity for sin. And then we also live in a culture where social acceptance of many, of many sins that were frowned upon just a few years ago. The phrase that we find in this verse 12 is iniquity will abound. Iniquity will abound. And so we see it happening. I mean, eyes wide open. And it, it can influence us and begin to erode our resolve to live an honorable, holy life. I want to show you one of the most important verses in all the Bible. It's in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I want to show you three versions of it. Here's the first one. This is, this is uh, from the NIV. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart with all diligence. Your heart is your mind, your will, your emotions, the real you, your heart. This is the essence of who you are as a person, your heart. Guard it. Guard the essence of who you are with all diligence because all the issues of life. Then look at Proverbs 4.23, again from a faithful version. <laughs> Above all, guard the door of your mind with diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So guard the door of your mind, what you think about, what you allow in. Guard that. Gatekeep that. Do it diligently. Because all of the issues flow. Last version, New Living Translation. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So again, the, the inference here in this verse is that your love for God can grow cold. In other words, it waxes cold, meaning it's a process. I mean, you just don't wake up one day and you're, you're warm toward God, you love God very much. And then, you know, by, by lunch, you go, I don't love God anymore. It doesn't happen that way. It happens incrementally. It happens slowly. It happens oftentimes imperceptibly. We don't realize that our heart for God, our love for God is waning. It's growing cold. So there are questions then we can ask. For example, how's your heart? How's your love for God? How about this question? 
Can you remember a time when you were more in love with God than you are right now? Own that question. How are you doing? The admonition from Jesus in tough times like the ones we're in is guard your love for God. Guard it with all diligence. Here's the fourth point I want to make. It's one word, endure. Endure. Verse 13, but the one who stands firm, endures to the end, will be saved. The one who endures. The word endure then implies to finish strong, to finish well. You know, hit the tape running. You don't want to be carried out feet first. You want, to, you want to hang in there all the way to the end. The word endured means to stand. No quitting, no compromise, no backing up. Let me just remind you that Christianity is more than enjoy. It is also endure. Christianity is to be enjoyed. It's also a lifestyle to, to enable you to also endure. That means that you have the right stuff. Think about that. God knew that you were going to be alive right now. Some of you have wondered about that. God, why am I alive right now? This is horrible. It's terrible. So much pressure. So much anxiety. You know, so much craziness. Why, why am I here now? And the answer is, God knew you were going to be here. And therefore, his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is enough. His strength and power in your life is more than you need. That's, amen goes behind each one of those sentences. God is with us. God knew that we were going to be here. And it means that you have the right stuff to endure such times as these. It must imply that God actually trusts you. He believes in you. He's counting on you. Could be that God believes in you more than you believe in you. You can do it. You can, you can have it. You can make it. Because God is with us. Amen. So endure. This is what the people of God do. When you read history and you see the saints under very difficult, hard times, persecution, and, and even martyrdom, you read these stories and you go, that is so admirable. That is so inspiring. That is so amazing. Well, listen, these are important days for the people of God to keep their heart, to keep their love, to, to keep their trust and confidence in God and endure all the way to the end. And that's the opportunity. These are the essential qualities of a follower of Jesus in times like these. And so we receive from God's word and the admonition of Jesus. Then we get to this last point I want to make. And it's verse 14. It's very simply, preach the gospel. Jesus is at, remember the setting now. The context is, hey, what's going to happen? When's it going to happen? You know, this is, this, is how, this is how we are curious about this subject. Is, is this the end? Are these the signs of the end? I mean, is all the stuff that's happening in our world and our culture right now, is this an indication that we're close to the end? Been getting these questions. Jesus said, well, you know, at the end, there's going to be some big things happening. But, but in the meantime, watch this. Guard your heart. Stay in love with God. Resist temptation. Live honorably. Endure to the end. And then Jesus reminds these guys of why they are alive on the earth. He reminds them of their primary purpose. He reminds them of the business that they're in. And this is in verse 14. And he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Now, this is an emphatic declaration. He said the gospel. This is the euangelion. This is the good news of the glorious hope of Jesus Christ. That's why the angels announced at his birth, glad tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born. Glory to God. Someone has come to rescue us. We were lost and undone and hopeless, hopeless in our sins, and God has made a way for us through his own son. He, he sent his only son as a missionary to the earth to rescue us. Glory to God. This is the gospel. This is the hope that we find in Christ. This is the hope for all of humanity. This is the way that God has made, the provision of his redemptive 
plan through his son, Jesus Christ. Amazing. And Jesus said in this gospel of the kingdom, I know, I know all hell is breaking loose. I, I know that it's getting harder and harder. I understand there are pressure points. I, under, I understand all of that. But listen to me. If you'll guard your heart and stay in love with God and you'll resist temptation and you'll receive the grace sufficient to endure all the way to the end and you preach the gospel, then you'll be about doing what I've called you to do. And you'll receive a reward. Many years ago, I was at Taylor University for a conference, a leadership conference there. There were about 1,200 people, a full house at the auditorium there. And one of the keynoters that morning was Dr. Sundo Kim from South Korea, pastor there. And he finished his, his teaching, stepped off the platform, was standing against the wall at the front. You know, very unassuming Asian man. And I just watched him from some distance. No one was talking to him. No one was approaching him. His English wasn't great. So, that, you know, some, some barrier there. But no one was accommodating him. And I just thought, well, that's not right. So I waited just a few more seconds and nobody was talking or approaching him. So I just made a beeline for him. I walked up to Dr. Kim and I said, uh, Dr. Kim, I appreciated your teaching this morning. May I buy your lunch? He said, you may. So we went to lunch, just the two of us. Now, pause right there in the story. Fast forward. I have now served with Dr. Kim on the board of trustees at Asbury Theological Seminary for over a decade, and we have become good friends. Dr. Kim pastors the largest Methodist church in the world. His church in Seoul, Korea has 85,000 members. 85,000. His church is the same size as our city. Get your mind around that, if you can. Amazing. It's amazing. So back to this moment. I said, Dr. Kim, over lunch, I'm a young pastor. Uh, you, you know things that I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn some things in pastoral leadership over the next many years. I said, why don't you tell me something that I'm going to learn. But it may take me a long time. He looked at me and he said this. He said, you must pray and then obey. That was it. Sounds too simple, doesn't it? Well, it can't be that easy. Oh, there's nothing easy about that. No, 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 no. Don't think. Listen, prayer is not easy. Prayer is hard. Prayer is difficult. Some speculate, and I wouldn't disagree, that prayer is the hardest work that a Christian does. Hard work. And Dr. Kim said, you must pray. And after you've prayed and God has spoken to you, then you obey. You say, well, that, that just sounds easy. No, no, there's nothing easy about prayer, and there's nothing particularly easy about obedience. What you've discovered, just like I have, is finding God's will is relatively easy. Doing God's will, that's not always easy. But he said, pray and then obey. And that's really good advice. In fact, that will carry you all the way through life pretty successfully if you just do those. And then he paused and with, now with a little more vigor, he said in one more thing. He said, always preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it marked me. I heard that. Always preach the gospel. A few years after that, I was in a conference in Little Rock, Arkansas. I was walking through the lobby of a hotel, and I saw a man sitting by himself on a sofa in the lobby of that hotel. I did not know him personally, but I knew him by reputation. His name was Dr. Ed Robb. I knew a bit of his story. I knew that he served honorably in the United States Army during World War II and then 
after his honorable discharge from the army, he began to preach the gospel as an itinerant evangelist in the Wesleyan world. He went all over the world preaching the gospel. So I knew him by reputation, and no one was with him. And so I just redirected my course and made a beeline for him. Are you noticing a trend in my life? Young, aspiring people of any career choice or path or sense of call of God, listen to me. Find people who have been where you want to go and ask them to speak into your life. They've been where you're going. They know things you don't know. And I sat down and introduced myself to Dr. Rob And after a few moments, he smiled at me and he said, I've preached the gospel of Jesus Christ for 50 years. And then he said, and I quote, if God would allow me to live 1,000 lifetimes, I would spend every one of them preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Now listen, who says that? Who says stuff like that? Does that resonate with anybody at all? Let me ask you, no matter what profession you've been in, maybe you've been in a career for some time, if you were sitting with someone younger, would you say something like that? If I had a thousand lifetimes, I'd do the same thing I've done. Everyone. I mean, I would, I just imagine that's unusual. But he said it with such passion. He said it with such conviction. He said it with such meaning. I believed him. And it marked me. It marked me. I remember it just like it was yesterday. Dr. Ken Kinghorn was my professor of church history at Asbury Seminary when I was a student there many years ago. And I got acquainted with him then, of course, but I got even better acquainted with him, developed our friendship further when I was invited to speak at a faculty retreat a few years later. Our church was starting to get some traction and and it's encouraging for faculty to hear about students who are, you know, doing something, <laughs> something meaningful. And so we built our friendship. Then Dr. Kinghorn would perform a ritual with me every time he saw me for all these succeeding years. The first time he did it, it was the most poignant, most substantial, but he did it with me probably a dozen times. Every time we met over the years until he passed, he would do this with me. The first time I saw him after this retreat is he walked right up to me and he got in my space. He got uncomfortably close. You know, just, that's far enough. You're in my space. This was (laughs) pre-COVID. And he he was tall enough to look me in the eyes. He looked me right in the eyes and, and he said, Greg, are you still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, the question was so penetrating. It was so provocative. It was so substantial. It, 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 was, it, was, it was so, so serious, so sobering that it caused me pause. I had to think about the answer. I, I, I couldn't just be casual about it. You know, <laughs> yeah, I sure am. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do that. I I, I, couldn't, I couldn't just say to him what he wanted me to hear, what he wanted to hear. I, I had to absorb that question. Consider it carefully. So I paused for a few moments. I was curious to know the answer myself. And then I finally looked back at him and I said, Yes, sir. I'm still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And immediately, he moved a little closer. He put his hands on both of my shoulders like this. He he shook me just slightly. And with even more passion, he looked me right in the eye and he said, it's a glorious gospel. And I'm just telling you, the energy of God went right through. The Apostle Paul said it this way, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And it's true. 
If your life is in need of the transforming presence and work of God, the way to that work is through the good news of Jesus Christ and his love, acceptance, and forgiveness of you. That's where it begins. And this is the message we preach. Jesus said to the disciples years ago, oh yeah, the end times are coming. It's going to be hard. It's going to be bad. It's going to be messy. It's going to be terrible. But none of that is going to happen until this gospel of the kingdom is preached to the whole world as a witness to all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. Then and only then will the end come. Listen, you can go stand up on a hillside somewhere or climb up on your roof and say, I know you're coming soon, Jesus. I just wait here for you. And Jesus will say, no, 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 no. The end is not yet because the gospel has not penetrated every people group left on the earth because everyone has a right to hear the hope of the gospel. So let me tell you why I love my church, why I love this church. It's because you're so great. Pastor Glenn said it earlier. It's amazing. It's just amazing. We haven't taken one step back during COVID. We've taken two steps forward. And we're going to keep taking steps forward. George Barna of the Barna Group, this guy, this group of, of social scientists, they're, they're good at what they do. Here's their prediction. Barna says that one year from now, the fall of 2021, one out of every five Protestant churches in America will be closed. One out of every five. He also said that among millennials and Generation Z, the age group just younger than the millennials, between their group, these are people about approximately 35 years old and younger, down to about 10 years old, 12 years old now. This group of people who are Christians, these young people, young adults who are Christians in our culture, Barna predicts 60% of the Christians in that age group will not return to the church after COVID. Whole list of reasons for that. Listen to me. Listen to your pastor. We're not going to have that. We're not going to have that. We're not going to have it. We're not going to be closing down. We're not going to be backing up. We're not going to abandon the younger generations. We're not going to have any of that. Those are trends that are bad. Those are negative. We don't follow bad trends. We're following Jesus. And if we'll take care of God's mission God's way, in God's time, he will provide the people and the resources necessary to accomplish that mission. Amen. Glory to God. And that's where we're going. If you'll take out the faith, faith promise card, if you've been at Union Chapel for a while, you know that this is the vehicle through which we fund all of our local and global mission, missions efforts over the course of a year through faith promise. On the back side of this at the bottom, there are two paragraphs there. I just want to remind you of the definition of faith promise. Faith promise is different from a church pledge or contribution to the general church budget. It's not a pledge made to the church. It's a promise made to God. So faith is called for. Not faith to get, but faith to give. In other words, you trust God for an amount of money over the course of the year, and if he gives you that money, you give it. So it's Faith to give, not to receive. You are urged to ask God what you should trust him for, the amount he will enable you to give each week or over the course of the year. The basis of the promise is a relation between you and God. For any reason you can't pay your faith promise, the reason should be explained to God. So make your promise not on the basis of what you have to give, but on the basis of what you believe God will enable you to give. It's faith, exercising your faith for an amount that you perhaps wouldn't be able to imagine yourself having available if God didn't provide it to you. So I want to encourage you to do this, to spend the next week or so 
in prayer. Pray and then obey. God, how much might you provide to me for faith promise? And that's the amount I'll believe you for. Now, on the front side of this, you'll see the basic categories outlined there, the support that we'll be giving in 2021. And you can see church planting there. That's a big piece of what we do, and I'm going to talk about that next week and just encourage you, I hope, and inspire you with some of those stories. Then local and global missions. I want to highlight that list with you in just a moment. Blood and Fire, our friends downtown here, Bob and Stacy. you know, we talked earlier about buying some pies for their Thanksgiving outreach. And they minister to the most marginalized in our city, and we, we fund them every year. Serve is the one-week outreach, the blitz that we do with hundreds of our parishioners. We go into all kinds of neighborhoods and agencies around the city and bless them. And then there is one additional line item this year. It's BUX. Let me explain what that is. BUX stands for Bethel University Extension. A good friend of mine, Terry Linhart, uh, this will age me a bit, but Terry was in high school when I was keynoting at a youth camp many years ago, and his life was influenced for Christ. I knew his dad very well. We were good friends. Terry's now a PhD and in, and in charge of a department at Bethel University in Mishawaka, Indiana, fully accredited school, Christian school. And Bethel has been thinking out of the box. And as a result of that, thinking out of the box, they have designed a new program called BUX where they entreat local churches, larger local churches like Union Chapel, and they ask, would you partner with Bethel University as a local church and raise up college students within your church, a cohort of students, 8 to 10 to 15 to 20 students, and we will train them in whatever area of of major that they want to choose in a liberal our liberal, liberal arts college and so they can study any subject they want and for $10,000 a year you can be a full-time student and get full credit college credit for $10,000 a year now if you've stu- if you've if you've researched what it costs to go to college these days that's a good deal now the benefit the benefit on top of that is that cohort of students will be on our campus. They'll be here every day. This is where they'll study. This is where they'll take their classes. We will provide a chapel for them. We will provide internships for them if they want to do some ministry in the context of children all the way through adults so that we'll be discipling these young students. I'll, I'll be involved in it. Our staff will be involved in it. And we'll just be championing the leadership development of the next generation while they get a college education on our campus. It's brilliant. We're so excited about this. And so it's going to cost a little money the first couple of years until we gather enough students. And at at a certain point, because there's a kickback from Bethel for all the tuition that's paid, the local church gets part of that tuition. So it'll actually eventually pay for itself. But in the early years, we'll have some startup costs, as you can imagine. So that's what the BUX, and I'm going to talk more about that after the first of the year because we, we need to start recruiting students. And if you're a student or thinking about college next year, this is a good option for you, and it will save your, your parents a lot of money, a lot of money. $10,000 for a full year's credit is a, is a great price, and so we're very excited about that. So here's the total, $452,000. Now, let's back up, and I want you to just look at on the screen quickly with me the, the, the people and agencies, organizations that we'll be funding through that second line item, local and global, at $76,000. So look on the screen, if you will, and these are alphabetized, so no particular order. All of these people and organizations we have relationship with. Either these, these missionaries grew up at Union Chapel or they are friends of family members of Union Chapel, or they're close personal friends of mine. So there is relationship. All of our commitment, financial commitment, to people around the world are based on friendship, relationship, shared vision and values. We have the same motive, and we believe in what you're doing. So those are qualifiers. So all of these folks qualify, and you can see there, uh, Stan Hankins, he does ministry along the Pacific Rim preaching the gospel and training up leaders. 
He's a good friend of mine. George Miley is one of my mission mentors, um, a fabulous guy. Asbury Seminary is my alma mater. We fund my alma mater. If you have a church, uh, get your own mission budget, then you fund your alma mater. But it's my alma mater, so we fund them. Viju Abraham, we've known for 30 years. <laughs> and he's been working in Mumbai, India. Wow. Uh, Wesley Welch with Chi Alpha, again, uh, a member of the family. Christian Ministries here locally, you know them. Sarah Geringer, again, a family member of people in our church. Brett Westbrook and his wife, Maria, served on our team in Kazakhstan for 10 years. Their son, Josh, works for us now. You, maybe you know Josh. Uh, Ron Cootie, same story, served with us in Kazakhstan for years, now working out of Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, crew, uh, this is Campus Crusade. All four of these folks are folks who either came through Union Chapel or grew up at Union Chapel. Eric Nodal, the last one there, and Kristen and their family, they attend Union Chapel and work on Ball State campus with Athletes in Action. Jeff Mosier is the local fellowship of Christian Athletes director. Uh, first choice for women you'll recognize Steve Unanks led our first team into Kazakhstan 25 years ago, now works for an organization called Frontiers Reaching the Muslim World. We continue to support Steve. Steve also, also coaches our team, current team in Kazakhstan. Interlink was the name of the nonprofit uh, corporation that we founded many years ago to get into Kazakhstan, and it still percolates and has some activity. InterVarsity, Laura Sapp, Scott Harris, both Union Chapel kids, you know, are out there doing it. Dave Kanaus uh, works for Life Impact. Uh, now Dave and his wife, Teresa, led our team in Kazakhstan for 10 years. And so we support them in the current work they're doing. You see Muncie Mission. We all are familiar with the local mission. Uh, One Mission Society and Dave Schnacki, uh, OMS. This, this is based out of Indianapolis, a mission society there, uh, mission agency. And David Schnacki is leading a center on the campus of Asbury University, right across the street from the seminary, where students, Asbury University students, can go there for leadership development training and short-term mission exposure trips to consider the mission field. Very strategic. It's in keeping with this championing the next generation, this heart we have to do that. Terry Takel from Renewal Ministries, he's an apostle of prayer has informed me and our church here in the area of prayer more than anyone else. Tom and Delfina were members of Union Chapel, have worked out west in, on a reservation with the Navigators for many years. Uh, TMS Global, Dan Miller was actually in our service at 8.30 this morning. He and his wife Sherry are heading back to the field next week. I can't talk about what he does for security reasons. Dan... Dan has raised up indigenous leaders in the, the part of the world where he works who have been martyred recently. And Dan raises up leaders in this particular area of the world and says, you know, you go preaching the gospel, they'll whack off your head. And they say, we know. Amazing. Sadiq Karawal has been uh, preaching the gospel in India for 30 years. We've been a primary support for him. Sadiq was a Muslim, raised in a Muslim home. His dad was an imam, a Muslim pastor. And Sadiq came to Christ when he was in his 20s because Jesus came to his apartment in Mumbai, India. Jesus of Nazareth, the one in the Bible, Jesus, the guy we were just quoting today from Matthew 24. This is Jesus. Knocks on his apartment door one night in the middle of the night. Who are you? I'm Jesus. <laughs> it was quite effective. Sadiq, Sadiq began to follow him and has followed him all these years, reaching other Muslims. The Youth Opportunity Center is here locally, a nonprofit that does great work with troubled teens. And so we support them. And Matt Nokus works with YWAM in North Korea. We've talked about him in the past. He built a bread factory 
You know, people in North Korea, if you don't know, they, they're starving, just generally. Uh, the North Koreans now are about six inches shorter than the South Koreans because they're, they're malnourished, generationally, chronically malnourished in North Korea. North Korea is, is a gulag. It's, it's impossible. All the trees in North Korea are gone because people have burned them all to try to stay alive in the winter. It's, and so Matt Nokus puts his carcass in North Korea Training, training church leaders in North Korea. You understand what would happen if they caught him. Amazing. He's been our friend for a long time. We help fund him. And we do it gladly. So there's the list. So that's kind of the, the broad list of people that we support. And next week I want to talk about what we're doing in church planning. Very exciting. Listen, I love, I love, I love our church. Doing great things. Now back to this card just for a minute and then we'll be done. This total, 452000 that is the largest goal that we've ever set for Faith Promise in a given year at Union Chapel by about $100,000. Let me just say something about that. It's impossible. We'll never reach it. I mean, you know, times are hard. Economy's wobbling. People's income's uncertain. All the above. So this is Goofy. This is ridiculous. That's a, cra- that's a crazy goal. So when you pray about this, pray for me. And please help Pastor Greg. He's lost his mind. There's no way we can hit that number. But let's see how close we can get, just for fun. Because we can't make it. But we can try. You know, we'll have some giggles over it. Gee, we only got halfway this year. Or not. You pray about it. (laughs) I heard a pastor about 10 minutes ago say, God's mission done God's way and God's time never lacks God's provision. Some of you threatened to say amen to that. Right now you're not so sure. Let me just say it this way. God is opening more doors of opportunity for us than we can resource. I just spent all week in Phoenix, Arizona this past week. Lots of stories. God is throwing open doors. The Bible uses this phrase, God will open doors that no man can shut. God's opening doors to us in Kazakhstan, in Belarus, in Kyrgyzstan, in Ecuador, in Colombia, in Mexico, in Pittsburgh, in Phoenix, in Marietta, Ohio, Cape Coral, Florida, Fort Collins, Colorado, Anderson, Indiana, prisons all over, the, all over the country. I spoke with Nick Voyevich this week on the phone. Nick Voyevich is, is the ministry Life Without Limbs. Can you picture, he was born without arms or legs, Nick, Nick Voyevich. Nick has an entree into every prison in the world. People just, they just come and talk to our prisoners. Because when Nick stands, sits in front of a group of people, no matter how troubled their lives may be, here's a guy with no arms and no legs who says that by the grace of God, you can live a whole life. And so here's the vision that Nick has. Nick wants us to help him develop leaders in prisons all over the country, all over the world train inmates to be church planters and plant churches in hundreds of prisons around the world. <laughs> well, that's, see, that's not, that's not listed here. That's just another opportunity. And I just talked with, and by the way, we're going to get Nick here. He's going to be preaching at Union Chapel sometime in the next year. And you can't get Nick Voyevich unless you're going to help him do something like we are. And so that's something to look forward to. Well, on and on it goes. So, you, so here's my question. I have to stop because there's another service. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. A hundred years from now, 100 years from now, we'll all be in eternity, all of us. A hundred years from now, in eternity, what do you, you want to remember about this season? 
What do you want to look back and remember about how you, how we went through this season? I want to be able to say, I kept my love for God in place. I trusted him. I resisted the temptation just to fall in with everybody else. And I endured together with the people called together. And we advanced the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. That's what we did. And here's a harvest of souls with us now in the eternal kingdom because of the way we responded in that season when so many people were backing up and giving up. We moved forward and saw the glory of God and the provision of God. Amen? That's where we're going. Lord, hear our prayers today. Touch us at the point of our need. So many within the sound of my voice today who need to guard their love for you, who need to endure. So Lord, we refuse to be afraid or troubled. We take heed to ourselves and we watch. We watch and guard our souls. We guard our hearts with all diligence. And Lord, so help us finish well preaching the gospel as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?